It's 12 Enough, the Wilderness Edition, with your host, Jonathan Malone, and guest host, all the lovely people. Look at them all. What a bunch of lovely people. Love Enough is a podcast about Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your host, Jonathan Malone, is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of East Greenwich, Rhode Island. And your guest host are all the lovely people. Look at them gathering. All those lovely people. I wonder, where do they come from? This podcast is brought to you by Shoddy Workmanship with Construction. You try to build a house and you get one wall up and then two walls up and then three walls up. Then you put it on a roof and you say, that's good enough. I don't know. Feels shoddy to me. And by tents. You get one tent and you got a place to stay. You get two tents. You have two places to stay. You get three tents, and you're going to find the whole experience is pretty intense. Tents! And we're back. Um, I think, was that the first time that a sponsor was really a bad pun? I don't know. If it was, you're welcome. If not... Hey, glad to keep serving people what they want. I'm all here about the fans. It's all about fan service. And I know that you love your puns. You tell me that with all of your emails that you send me. Thanks. Thanks. So we are continuing with part four of the wilderness experience that I had, where I talk about isolation and I talk about people. And I'm going to tell you what, what happens. I recorded the whole thing, the whole gosh darn thing. And it was really long. It was really it was like two hours long. And that's why you, I already gave you the first part, isolation. This episode, if I printed, if I just post the rest uncut, it'll still be almost two hours. So I know I'm going to cut it in a certain place. I just don't know where yet. Um, I'll tell you at the end of the episode where I did. But we're going to hear the second, the next part of my experience with people and community and isolation. This one talks about community, uh, and it feels good to know that there's people out there who's part of the hiking community, the wilderness community. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, and thanks always for listening. crazy, beautiful people. I will always love and cherish the community that I encountered in the wilderness. Many say they go into the wilderness to escape civilization, to get away from it all, to embrace the solitude of the land, and yet one of the greatest experiences I had collectively over the entire journey was the people I encountered. By and large, the people that I met, talked with, shared space and experiences with were good, nice people, 
and added much to the overall feel of the journey. I was happy to meet people on the trail, to share our lean-to for the night, and to get to know other hikers in the wilderness. It could be the self-selecting nature of the group. We all have chosen to be in this similar place. We share the joys of the wilderness, and that is a part of what makes a sense of community so immediate and so good. It may be because we are all struggling in the same way, hiking the same mountains, struggling with the same weather, slapping at the same insects, and the shared struggles is part of what makes the bonds of community so immediate and positive. It may just be that the kind of people who go into the mountains and look to struggle are genuinely nice people. So maybe it is that those who hike and camp tend to be nice people who enjoy community, or maybe it is being in the wilderness that makes one opening to sharing with others. There is a very real question of which comes first. I do believe that the high proportion of Canadians in the wilderness helps to make the overall experience positive. By and large, the Canadians that I met tended to be super nice people, even when they could not help it. I wonder if there is a government program in Canada working to make people nice. Hiking Partners Not every trip was solo. Most were not. I had hiking partners for various trips, some that I've already mentioned. I have given all of my hiking partners trail names that they collaborated with, collaborated with me to receive to one degree or another. In my telling of my experience, everyone gets a trail name in part to protect the innocent, but in part to capture the essence of our time together. A trail name in my telling of the story deepens the sense of who the person is. My hiking partners all knew about their trail names and often picked them. Stillwaters Stillwaters is a friend of mine from seminary with whom I share similar academic passions, although he gets a little more excited about John Kelvin than I believe is appropriate, and who also is a pastor. Stillwaters and I shared, most, shared the, the most hikes that were in the rain. I wonder if he was cursed. While enjoying each other's company and hiking in the rain, we missed one trail altogether, got lost, really, really lost on a different hike, and encountered a bear on another trip. We faced frustrations that were strong, discouraging, and difficult to overcome, as well as some wonderful joys and, and triumphs. Stillwaters and I had some very deep conversations, as well as some po very powerful celebrations. In the very beginning of the summer, Stillwaters did not have much experience with hiking and backpacking, and no experience in the Adirondacks, but by the end of the summer, he was becoming very adept at hiking, backpacking, and navigating the Adirondack trails. Baby Back Baby Back also did a significant number of hikes with me and happens to be one of my offspring. With Baby Back, we had some of the best weathers, but also some of the worst encounters with bugs. We were in the height of the black fly season during one of our hikes. Baby Back and I climbed six mountains in one day, hiked 11 miles with full pack on a different day, encountered a bear, the same one with Stillwaters, got to meet a number of really great people, mostly Canadian, and played a lot of cribbage. With baby back, I was moving between parent mode and hiking partner mode. There were times when I was clearly in one mode or the other, or the other and other times when the difference was not so clear. It, it is cliche to wax about the joy of a parent hiking with, an, hiking with an offspring, but indeed, it was a joy. The photographer. When I was serving my first church in Dayton, Ohio, I met the photographer who was also serving his first church. As time passed and we went different areas for ministry, we worked to keep in touch but did not see each other for almost 15 years. And then, on a whim, I invited him to join me on a trip to the Adirondacks, and he accepted. 
the, the photographer came with a certain amount of expectations and assumptions about himself and the difficulty of the trails and was surprised and challenged, to say the least. It was with the photographer that I did some very intense nighttime hiking, learned to be still and listen, and was reminded that the trails of the Adirondacks are more difficult than I thought. The photographer gave me the gift of slowing down, of listening and talking and watching and laughing. And as painful as the trip might have been for him, it was a real blessing and joy and something that I'm sure he will never forget, nor will I. The family. For the past couple of years, I've been blessed to make one trip each summer with my brothers and my children in the Adirondacks. This year, I was able to make the brother trip as part of my whole journey into the wilderness. The family includes Ghost Snot Rocket, my older brother who was missing in action for about a whole day and then mysteriously appeared at our campsite with sandwiches for supper. Ghost is a stubborn individualist, often a curmudgeon who, despite himself, is a joy to hike with. The Troubadour is my younger brother, who is still getting used to hiking and camping. This was his third trip in the Adirondacks, and brings a real sense of joy with each trip. He usually brings his ukulele, adding much to the whole camping and wilderness experience, as well as opportunities for decent singing. Guido Belladucci is another one of my offsprings, who makes a great fire, is a little more reflective and retrospective, and enjoys a good joke. He is getting older, and thus more independent. He tends to want to hike at his own pace. As Guido gets older and moves into the next stage of life, I wonder how many more trips he will be able and willing to attend. I'm working on a reworded vision of Cats in the Cradle to sing to him whenever he suggests that he may not be able to join us for the brother's trip anymore. When are you going to go hiking, son? I don't know when, but we'll have a good time then, Dad. We'll have a good time then. Baby back was already mentioned and is constantly looking to get someone to join him for a game of cribbage. It seems to be all that he really cares about when he's in the wilderness. <laughs> this year, for the first time, Fidget, the third offspring in my brood, joined us and found that he really loves the experience and looking forward to going again. He also makes a good fire and cannot sit still. There is a freshness to the experience and a joy in each moment that Fidget brought to the trip. My final offspring, Unnecessary Chatter, joined us for a day hike where I climbed my final two mountains, Esther and Whiteface. He is a natural hiker who will take the more difficult path around any rock or tree if it is all possible. He also talks a lot. Part of the challenge that comes with hiking with people, people who I have agreed to hike with, have planned on hiking with, is that I have to give and compromise before the trip even starts. It is a premeditated hike that takes planning, decisions to make, give and take. We have to come to an agreement about where it is that we would like to hike to what mountains we would like to climb, when we would like to go, who is bringing which gear, food, and so on. Before we even place a foot on the trail, I have to make adjustments with what I may want and what my partner may want. I now have to work with someone, live with someone, and adapt my expectations for the overall experience to meet the desires of the person I am going to be hiking with. The freedom of solo hiking is lost, and will say this is not easy. One of the major reasons I enjoy solo hiking so much is that I have the freedom to go where I want, when I want, and not have to think about the agenda or desires of others. I could be a selfish prick in my planning and in the hike itself. And there's something that I enjoy about that from time to time. 
I believe we all enjoy being a selfish prick from time to time, and that we should allow ourselves the luxury every now and again. On the other hand, there is a real value to be found in having a hiking partner. There is a joy of planning a hike with someone else who may have different perspectives and have different ideas of what might be a good hike and thus help me to see something I may not see otherwise. There is a comfort starting a trail with someone, especially if we are both going on a trail that neither of us have hiked before and having the comfort that I'm not entering into the unknown alone. It is good to have a companion. I know that as much as I enjoy the solo hike, I do not like being alone and that it was the end of the day that was most difficult for me in my solo hikes. Knowing that I'm not going to be alone at the end of the day and having someone to share the excitement and anticipation of the adventure with is a benefit of hiking, having a hiking partner. In the moment of the hike, in the heat of the experience, we may not reflect, but afterwards, it is good to share with someone, to talk about the crazy person we met on the trail, to express our frustration at the weather, or to share how good the day was. It is good to be hiking with someone, to have a partner. You have a companion, someone to talk to, and you are not alone. In addition, it's much safer to have a hiking partner. This is a basic rule, a truth that is very difficult to refute. But just in case it is not obvious why, I will give one example. Stillwaters and I were planning on climbing Mount Allen. Allen is known as a difficult, challenging, and elusive mountain that one does not choose to climb on a whim. When you mention to someone that you're going to climb Allen, their eyes get big, you can hear the quick intake of air, and the muttering of how it is a cursed mountain, and only those who are working to climb all 46 peaks would ever attempt to summit such a mountain. The common wisdom is that no one in their right mind would climb Allen on its own just for fun. Allen has a reputation of being a difficult hike and a daunting mountain to climb. It is the elusive mountain to conquer. Uh, much of this reputation is overblown. There is no witch or dragon or beast or of the wilderness lurking around the mountain, but the fear and the awe that Mount Allen evokes is based on some truth. From what I understand and feel, the challenges of facing Allen are threefold, at least. One, it is an unmarked trail, which means that finding the path can be tricky, especially for those who are looking for the assurance of a trail marker. It also means that during the summer, it is going to be a very muddy trail because there is little to no trail maintenance, maintenance to temper the erosion and mud buildup for mu from multiple hikers. It is not a difficult trail, but there are no ladders or planks to help get over and through the wet or tricky parts. Finally, being an unmarked trail means that if you follow a side trail without knowing you have done so, you can go on the wrong path for miles and not be aware that you are going in the wrong direction. 2. Allen Stands Alone the majority of the other peaks are near other mountains, so if you are going to climb Algonquin, you can also climb Wright and Iroquois and Marshall if you are bold and crazy all in the same day. The mountains are in ranges, and usually one plans on hiking an entire range, a collection of mountains, and at the end of the day, you feel like you've been very productive and it has been a good day of hiking. With Allen, it is not possible to celebrate the multi-peak day because it is so far and separate from the other mountains. It is close to a 10-mile hike to the summit from either trailhead at the parking lot or from Livingston Lean-To, where I like to start, making for close to a 20-mile day. That is a long, tiring day for just one mountain. 3. Because of the long hike-in and the lack of multiple mountains, you are not slowly working your way up in elevation, 
but you are just working through the wilderness for six to seven miles. Then you have about one mile of going up the mountain from the base. There was a lot of elevation to cover in a short amount of distance. And with rock slides covered with brown algae that is slippery when wet and overgrown sections of what is overall an unmaintained trail, it is not an easy ascent. All this is to say, Allen is a challenging mountain. For all of that challenge, there are not great views at the summit. It is not even close to the highest mountain of the 46 high peaks, but it is the most infamous because of the challenges listed and because overall it is just a damn challenging mountain to climb. Not having climbed Allen before, all of these challenges scare me. Add to these challenges the apocryphal tales of doom and gloom. One hiker told us of his first ascent up Allen and searching for one hour in the thick brush for the summit. No one seems to speak well of Allen. This negative and gloomy reputation was looming in still waters in my imagination when we began our hike to the summit of Allen. We were going towards the mountain, fully aware that it was not going to be an easy hike, and we were hyper alert to any potential problems. Perhaps the biggest worry in our mind was missing the unmarked trail that would lead up the mountain. If that happened, then we would be wandering around in the Adirondack wilderness for nothing. We were on a marked trail for the first third of the hike, red dots on the trees, assuring, reassuring us that we were on the right path. We were looking for a junction with an unmarked section of the trail, which would be the key to making it to the summit. The marked trail would lead us out of the wilderness into a parking lot and a lot of frustration and anger. The unmarked trail would lead us to the summit of Allen, and we did not want to miss the junction. Our anxiety and anticipation of finding the junction led us to overthink the whole hike. We searched and searched and found the junction, but doubted it. We second-guessed and third-guessed ourselves and kept doubting again and again until we decided to make a decision. The trail to Allen follows some logging roads and had until recently crossed land that was owned by a logging company. Because of this, there were old trails, old logging paths that led into the woods and seemed to be legitimate and tempted us to down one path or another that might be the right way to go or might not. We finally decided to follow what looked like a trail. The trail went down one road and then another and then into the wilderness and we stayed with it, believing that we were still on the trail that it would lead us to the summit of Allen. Every now and again, there seemed to be evidence of people having hiked through the wilderness before us but the evidence was getting scarce and distant. In time, what we thought was a trail became fainter and fainter, and we still took a chance and kept following it. It was maybe an hour or two later that we realized we were no longer on any trail at all, and were lost. We were deep in the woods, and were very, very lost. Six million acres of wilderness, and we had the great luck of being in some of the less hiked portions of it. Lost. We hear of many stories of hikers who have disappeared, never to be seen again, because they have gone deep into an unexplored portion of the wilderness. We have, we have heard stories of hikers who get lost in the woods and go crazy and make, up, make stupid decisions and end up dying. The potential of these stories becoming true was growing with each step we took deeper into the wilderness and deeper into being lost. This is where it was good that I was not alone. Stillwaters helped to keep me calm, and I helped to keep him calm. We calmed each other down, discussed our options, considered the situation, and that led, in part, to smart and safe decisions. We relied on each other and kept each other safe. If I was alone, I do not know what I would have done or if I could have kept calm. There were times when I was hiking alone on the Northville Placid Trail, 
and I realized that I got off the trail and had to find my way back. One time I was fairly lost, not as lost as I was with still waters, and had a difficult time backtracking and finding the trail that I had left. I remember the feeling of panic, the tightness in my chest, the anxiety that rose and impacted my thinking. I was far from being calm. And despite my anxiety and fear, it did not take me long to find my way and reconnect with the trail. Yet I was not as lost as I was with still waters. Our lost was bad, alarming, and dangerous. It was because we were together, we were able to help each other think through it safely. It was good that I was not alone. This is one of the major moments in my journey when I was reminded how important it is to have a hiking partner. Uh, just to end the story, we did have clothing and supplies and food so that if we needed to spend the night in the woods, we could have and we would have been okay. We always hiked with provisions, just in case. We ended up getting out the compass and map and making an educated guess where we were, went towards where we hoped we would find a river. When we found a river, we followed it back to the main trail and then found our way back to our campsite. We got lost, and then we got found. And we were not injured and did not have to spend the night in the woods. I would say this was a good day, a win, even if we never made it to the top of Allen. I eventually did make it up Allen another time by myself and a second time with Stillwaters and Baby back. The whole point is, it is safer to hike with someone. It is good to hike with someone else because if I were to slip and fall, it is good to have someone else there to help me. If I get attacked by a grouse, it's good to have a partner who could fend, out the, fend off the grouse with a pointed stick. If there is an emergency or problem or difficulty, it is always good to be hiking with someone else to think through a problem. Hiking with a partner is always safer. This does not mean that I will never do a solo hike again. I still like to hike by myself and will do so in the future, but will not decline a partner for the majority of my hiking experiences. Not only is hiking with others safer, it changes the way the mountain is experienced, for better or for worse. You have a commitment to another person that can impact how much and how far you climb. No longer are you just relying on your, only, on your hiking skills, but you are affected by the skills and abilities of others when you are not hiking alone. I realized this most when I was hiking with the photographer. When we started to make our hike into Livingston Point Lean-To, I had planned for us to hike three mountains in one day and one mountain the next. It was only about a mile or two into the initial hike that I realized I was going to have to change my plans. It took us twice as long as I am used to for us to get to the lean-to because the photographer was used to a different type of hiking than what the rugged trails of the Adirondack offers and was carrying a fairly heavy pack and was not in as good shape as he originally thought. I ended up carrying his pack and then carrying mine and his and leapfrogging each pack all the way to the lean-to. By the time we reached the lean-to, I changed my mind about climbing three mountains the next day I decided it would be better to climb one. That next day, even that one mountain demanded from the photographer more than I anticipated. We really took our time, and I got to a place where I realized that I would have to go ahead if I wanted to gain all the peaks for the journey that I needed. I went ahead of the photographer, climbed the one other mountain that, that I hoped to get that trip, Iroquois, and hoped to see the photographer while I was going up the mountain we had planned on climbing, Algonquin. I did not see him. I got to the top of Algonquin, rested a bit, then headed back to the mountain where I finally saw the photographer. He was slowly working his way up the mountain, and he was so close that I turned around 
and climbed up the mountain a second time so that I can experience the summit with him. My experience of the mountain was very different than the photographer than it would have been by myself. Because of the photographer's pace, I had more opportunities to sit, enjoy the wilderness, more opportunities to talk with other people, was able to listen to nature, laugh at the absurdity of climbing and hiking, and experience the mountain in a very different way. Who I am with impacts the way I encounter the wilderness. If I am related to the person, the experience of the wilderness changes. When I am hiking with the family, I am in a more protective mode, thinking of the safety of my offspring when considering the challenges before us. I enjoy the mountains for the first time through their lack of experience and newness to the whole enterprise. (laughs) And all the father-child dynamics impact the nature of the hike. The family changes the way I experience the mountain. When I'm hiking with a friend, I still worry, but not as much. I do not feel as protective. I am not as cautious. Overall, I was very lucky on this whole journey. There is always the risk that the person you hike with will be a jerk or annoying or someone you just cannot stand. I never considered that I might be the problem when these encounters happen. Everyone tells me I'm a really great guy. On this journey, I was lucky. I did not hike with anyone who annoyed me, who got me angry, or who negatively impacted my experience of the journey. I know that there are people out there who would have such an impact on the experience in such a way that I would not like it, so I'm thankful for all the hiking partners I was able to go with. If someone is lacking humility while in the wilderness, always bragging about how the mountain we are climbing is nothing like the last mountain he or she climbed, or about how the last time was so amazing and so much more than this time, I I get annoyed. If someone is always talking about how great their gear is and how I should be embarrassed to be hiking in my year-old boots, I, I get annoyed. If someone is cursing up a storm, more than normal backwoods cursing than we all expect and participate in, more than what a sailor would comfortably do, more than a pastor on a Saturday after, on a Sunday afternoon, I get annoyed. There are many other things that, that get me, that bother me, and with each person I hiked with, I risk getting annoyed and bothered in one way or another, yet all the people I encountered and hiked with only added in a positive way to my experience. Each person added depth and diversity to my experience of the wilderness, And I can honestly say I would be willing to hike with each one of them again. As much as I enjoy hiking solo, it is good to hike with others. And I get that this is how life is. I get that life offers a combination of solo hikes and opportunities to hike with other people. And we should be aware of how other people affect how we experience life. We need to be open to having our experiences impacted and affected by others because it's going to happen whether we want it to or not. This is the easy surface lesson to gain from my experiences. I was not ever going to be completely alone. When I was hiking solo, I did have some agency in deciding who I was going to hike with. I invited people to join me, and this is also important. I often find myself in the company of others in the wilderness in the world, or in the world, but I can be selective around who I want to join me on the hike. If someone pissed me off, then I wouldn't hike with that person. I would go ahead or stay behind because I did not want the negative impact of the wilderness that I was going to get with that individual. If I invited someone, then I made a commitment to be with that person, no matter the pace or the approach or the attitude. I'm sharing the wilderness experience with that person. It also means that I do not need to struggle through the pain and challenges alone, but have someone to walk with me. Sharing the lean to. When both solo hiking and hiking with a partner, I met people with whom I shared living space. These are people who either share a tent site or share a lean-to. There is an instant 
intimacy that is found when you are sharing living space, even if it is only for a night. And this intimacy is most obvious when sharing a lean-to. For those who do not know, a lean-to is a three-walled structure with a floor and nothing more. There are no bunks or sections off sleeping areas or changing areas or anything else for that nature. You just find a place to sleep. When you're in a lean-to, there are more than and there are more than two or three people, you're going to be sleeping next to someone regardless if you know that person or not. The more people, the more intimate the sleeping arrangements. Sharing a lean-to offers, offers insight into the evening and morning routines of people, their sleeping habits, their teeth brushing habits, and the frequency of bathroom visits. If you're going to sleep this close to someone who have ne- you've never met before, who just happens to be at the same place as you, then there needs to be a level of trust that comes from intimacy and it needs to be gained quickly. You have to trust that the person sharing the lean-to is not a crazy axe murderer. This is not usually a problem because an axe is really heavy and takes a good deal of commitment to carry something that heavy all the way to the lean-to. You have to trust that the person is not going to steal all your stuff and run off with it in the middle of the night, is not going to wake you early in the morning with bird calls and tantric devotionals, and overall is going to respect your space. You also have to trust that you will not be judged if you fart in the middle of the night, and everyone farts in the middle of the night, and that you will not be judged for flossing your teeth in the morning. I mean, there is always time for good oral hygiene, and one should never have to apologize for flossing. Trust is an important part of what makes intimacy of a lean-to work. If there is not any trust, then you are not going to sleep well, and that will not make the next day a good day of hiking. Good conversation usually helps to create the trust and set the boundaries of appropriate intimacy. Without a television to distract or radio to focus on, all we have is the skills of talking, a skill of which some are better than others. There, are, there were a number of people with whom I spent the night at the lean-to and with whom I was able to enjoy good conversation. There was Mike, the Canadian military man, who was also a poet and seemed to love to curse when talking about poetry. Caps loved to record the sound of nature, but not the sound of people farting in their sleep, and didn't like the idea of mice in the lean-to. I shared his anti-mouse anxiety. Lumberman and son had hash and eggs for breakfast on a cast iron skillet that they carried in for three miles and then had to carry out for three more miles. I was amazed at their dedication for a good breakfast and envious of it when I smelled the hash and eggs cooking while I was eating my cold oatmeal. It was the best smelling breakfast of the whole summer. The college students from Montreal who had never experienced the Adirondacks brought in more than one heavy thermos of some kind of warm drink and a cooler of what I could only assume were organ donations. I mean, you can never be too prepared. There were many people and many great conversations. This is a great joy that I find in sharing a lean-to. It is an instant community, an opportunity to meet and to get to know different people. The evening stillness and morning light we share break the solitude and add to the experience of the wilderness. In those moments, one is not alone, but in a community, regardless how brief. There are two groups of people that share the lean-to with me that stand out because of who they were and what we experienced together. The first group that I encountered was while I was hiking the Northville Placid Trail. It was my second day of hiking, and it was my second encounter of heavy, relentless rain. On the trail, I met some others who were doing the 135-mile through trek, the brother-in-law, the brothers-in-law, and the engineer. For at least the next couple of days, we will be hiking together, leaving notes for each other, and look forward to the sense of community we we would share over supper. 
Through hikers have a communal experience of all trying to tackle the same trail, all trying to overcome the same obstacles. Uh, like a miniature version of the Appalachian Trail, there is an instant community among through hikers who are headed in the same direction on the Northville Placid Trail. The four of us shared lunch under the shelter of the Silver Lake lean-to as the rain fell with great power and ferocity. As the lightning flashed and the thunder roared and the rain poured on the ground around us, we agreed that none of us wanted to be in a tent that night. Over lunch, while eating cheese sticks and sandwiches, we made a pact sealed in the sacred bond of sweat and dirt and rain that we would gather at the next lean-to, Mud Lake, for a guaranteed dry place to spend the night. No one commented that perhaps a location called Mud Lake might not be the best place for an evening. Implicit in our agreement was the agreement that whoever got to the lean-to first could hold it for the three others who were also on their way. We were all soaked and were looking forward, forward to having a dry place to spend the night. We were going to rely on each other to claim the space in the lean-to. It is no fun to set up your tent in the rain, and if the tent is less than stellar, it is no fun to sleep as the rain falls and finds its way into the tent. The, the agreement was set. The pact was made. Lunch was finished. As the rain continued to fall and was not relenting, the mudleg lean-to was becoming the promised land for this small band of wet-tired hikers. Hiking in continued rain for several more hours made the idea of sleeping in a lean-to more and more inviting. I got ahead of the three other hikers and was looking forward to arriving at the lean-to, drying off, and maybe even getting a fire going. Each step brought me closer to our anticipated evening camp. And then I came upon another group of hikers. There were four of them, two fathers with their sons, and they were also trudging through the rain, wet and tired. Trash bags covered their packs, $10 ponchos around them, suggesting to me that these hikers did not have the top-rated tent that would offer sure protection in the rain. As the rain continued to fall on and around us, I learned they were also headed to the same lean-to, Mud Lake, as my small band of hikers were going. I could see that these fathers and sons were tired, were feeling beaten, and were yearning for the shelter of the lean-to in a similar way that I was. It took some quick math. Four of them. Four of us to realize that we were going to have a very full lean-to. Something you should know about lean-to etiquette. The rule is that unless otherwise stated, up to eight people should be able to share space in the lean-to. If you are in a group of five and you get to a lean-to with two people already in it, then you are all going to have to share the lean-to. That is the rule. You cannot say that you are having a quiet, intimate evening with your beloved and that you need the scenic backdrop and ambiance of the lean-to so that you can rekindle your marriage. Your marriage is going to have to learn how to share romantic intimacy with other smelly hikers. No one can hog, claim, or reserve the lean-to. Another rule is first come, first serve. I cannot get there and say I'm holding spots for others if seven other people show up before my group. You cannot call ahead and reserve a spot. There are no phones to call. Whoever puts his or her sleeping pad and sleeping bag in the lean-to first gets the spot. You should also not set up your tent in the lean-to because you're taking up more than the appropriate amount of space in the lean-to and eight tents would never fit. And not only is it redundant to have a tent in the lean-to, it is an action that is lacking of class and style. It's trashy. It's gauche. I was thinking about all of this while looking for an opportunity to get ahead for the father-son team uh, hoping that there would not be anyone else in the lean-to. Eight people is tight, difficult, and nine would be impossible. 
I was trying to figure out what kind of persuasive speech I would have to use to convince someone that it was in their best interest to find a different place to sleep so that my merry band of hikers would have the luxury of a dry wood floor to sleep upon. Not only was I yearning for that lean-to and all the hopes of dryness that it offered, I made a pact. I made this pact over lunch with cheese sticks and sandwiches, and I was determined to stay true to the pack. I was wet. The constant rain made the trail wet. The wooden boards on the trail that were supposed to keep a hiker above water of swamps and marshes were submerged, floating just above the mud and just below the crest of the water. My boots had rivers running through them, squishing with each step. My clothes were soaked through. This was far from the idyllic hiking I had envisioned, and by the time I arrived at the lean-to, I noticed the rain was relenting. The sun was starting to emerge. I had gotten in front of the father-son group, and no one else was at the lean-to. It was empty. Things were getting better. One would think that after all this build-up and anticipation, the Mud Lake lean-to would be an oasis in the mountains, complete with fire-going, steaks on the grill, comfortable chairs to recline in, and all the other amenities that one would desire. That's what I was building up in my mind and anticipating as the rain tapered off and, w- and I was w- still wading knee-deep in the water through a marsh that fed Mud Lake. The image of paradise was not awaiting me on my arrival. The lean-to was not large, but average size. It was not glamorous and lacked any roaring fire, grilled meats, or anything else of that matter. It was just another lean-to and just another campsite, but it was dry and inviting. I explored a little and wondered how it would be possible to fit eight people in what seemed to be a space big enough for six full-grown individuals. The last time I checked, eight is more than six. It seemed like it was going to be a challenge or at least a puzzle for all of us to fit in and stay dry. The father-son team arrived not long after I did and looked over the lean-to and all that it offered and seemed to be considering the similar thoughts about space and people. I did not wait long before telling them that there were at least three other hikers behind them who would most likely desire a place in the lean-to. I did not want the quartet of hikers to sprawl out, get comfortable, and then have to readjust everything. The moment I shared that three more hikers were on their way was key. This could have been a difficult moment because for some it made it seem like I was trying to save space for hikers who were not there. It could have seemed like I was overstepping my limits with a lean-to. I was claiming a territory, not just for me, but for those who were not yet there, and I was spreading myself in a lean-to, taking up more space than one person needed. I want to emphasize how amazing the father-son group was in their response. They were not seasoned hikers. This was their first trip into the Adirondacks. It is very likely that they did not know all the lean-to etiquette that was practiced by most. They could could have said that they would share the lean-to with me, but that it would not be possible for eight people to fit in this lean-to no matter what anyone else said, and that they were not going to bend the laws and rules of physics to accommodate some wet, smelly hikers. They could have claimed that they were really looking forward to the father-son time and the idea of bringing in other hikers and sacrificing all the lean-to space was not what they signed up for. There were thousands of negative responses that the father-son group could have offered in protest to the news of more hikers coming. Yet when I told them that there were three more hikers coming and hoping for space in the lean-to, they said, okay, and looked for opportunities to make space. They did not blink. They did not mutter some kind of passive-aggressive comments under their breath. They just looked to see how they could help and make everything work. One of the fathers brought a hammock and lashed it to the beams of the lean-to so he would sleep over the rest of us. I did not ask about the load-bearing strength of the beams or of the hammock, but 
did look at the father and decided that if something did happen in the middle of the night, and if he fell on top of me, I probably would survive with just a few broken ribs. It was a nice gesture. Now only seven of us would have to sleep on the floor. As the other hikers, the brothers-in-law, and the engineer showed up, everyone pondered and worked together and problem-solved to consider how space could be made for everyone. In the end, with one full-grown man swinging over the rest of us, we managed to squeeze all eight of us into the lean-to, and we were dry all night. We were not comfortable, but we were dry. We had joined and created a community. Part of what happened was that everyone agreed that it was wet. It had been raining for two days, and that no one should be forced to sleep in the woods in the rain. We had all resolved that we were going to make space for everyone. We had agreed that everyone deserved a place in the lean-to. It was not a comfortable night's sleep. It was not an easy night's sleep, but it was dry. This was a moment when community was formed fairly instantly. It was one comfort to a degree and one of inclusion. Even though it was just for one night, for not more than 12 hours, a powerful and committed community was found at the Mud Lake lean-to. The second group was the crazy family. Not to be confused with my family, which is also crazy, but it's not the crazy family. This was a family of four, father, mother, son, daughter, who were six and ten years of age, respectively, and a wonderful dog, Sasha, trained in the art of chasing chipmunks. I met the crazy family in the Seward Mountain Range while staying at Blueberry Lake, at Blueberry Lean-To, which disappointingly lacked blueberries. This is the same lean-to where I encountered a chipmunk who terrorized me during my supper. The first night I spent at Blueberry Lean-To was with Lumberman and Son, who had hash and eggs for breakfast. They were leaving the next day, so I only enjoyed one evening with them. Lumberman and Son had planned on leaving their gear at the Lean-To, climbing Mount Seymour, then grabbing their gear and heading out. Thus, in the morning, my gear was in the Lean-To, clear that I was sleeping there, along with Lumberman and Son's gear packed up and not clear that they were staying there. It was an ambiguous impression that three people might be planning on spending the night, leaving room for five more, or that only one was planning on spending the night. I had the usual good day of hiking three of the Seward Mountains, Seward, Donaldson, and Emmons, enjoying, enjoyed a lunch of hummus, sun-dried tomatoes, and olives on the top of Emmons, and was hiking back over Mount Seward to the lean-to. It was a good day with great weather that was going to end on the early side, and I was happy to have an early ending. On my return hike, going down Mount Seward towards the lean-to around 3 p.m., I passed the crazy family. I first saw the daughter of the group, Happy, who seemed to just appear as if she was a forest sprite, smiling and full of joy. I then saw the father, Red, who shared the smile that his daughter had. With Red was the mother, Calm, and son, Persevere. Through quick conversation, I learned that they had set up their gear in Blueberry Lean-To, where I had slept the night before, and was going to be there for two more nights in hope that there was going to be room for them. When the crazy family got to Blueberry Lean-To, Lumberman and Son's gear was still there, and they were worried that there might not be enough room because of the ambiguous gear. I did the quick math again. Lumberman and Son and myself and the crazy family would make seven people and two dogs, so it was possible that all might fit, but it would not be fun. However, I knew that Lumberman and Son were not going to be spending the night and told them so, reassuring the family that there would be plenty of room in the lean-to. The father, Red, expressed shouts of joy and celebration, pumped his fists in excitement, danced a little jig. The daughter, Happy, asked if I could make a fire for them on their return, and I promised I would try. The son, Persevere, expressed his joy around the potential of a fire and asked if I had any marshmallows. 
The mother, calm, in one look expressed gratitude at the notion of having a fire, but also freed me from the obligation of doing so, and assured Persevere that I most likely did not have any marshmallows. I wondered to myself, why is it that I did not have any marshmallows? They're not very heavy. They can become very compact. And yet here I was in the wilderness without any marshmallows. I let the thought go, looking forward to getting to know this family more. This was my first encounter with the crazy family. Let me stress again. It was three o'clock in the afternoon, and I was on my way towards finishing my hike. They, on the other hand, were working their way up the first mountain when we passed each other. They were starting their hike. I did not say anything about the fact that it was fairly late in the day to start climbing the first of three mountains, starting a hike that I was just finishing. I did not want to tell them that they were crazy to be hiking so late in the day, but instead assured the crazy family that I would watch for them and maybe, just maybe, have a fire going. I got back to the lean-to and had supper. This is where I encountered the chipmunk with whom I now have a deep disdain and, and rivalry and waited for the family to return. I chatted with a Canadian who, who coached crew sprint teams. I had no idea people could sprint in crew and assumed it was just another Canadian innovation and waited for the family to return. I collected a good amount of firewood to make the promised fire and waited for the family to return. I tried to write in my journal and waited for the family to return. I cursed at the mosquitoes and waited for the family to return. I waited for the family to return, and eventually I did make a fire, perhaps earlier than I need to, but it helped keep the mosquitoes at bay. It was a great, wonderful fire. It illuminated the lean-to and the woods around it, and there were times when I walked into the woods to get a sense of what the fire looked like from afar. There is a beauty to a lean-to illuminated by a fire in the dark of night. The fire makes the whole area feel warm, inviting, and hopeful. I was now hoping and looking for the family to return so they can enjoy the exothermic masterpiece that I had created. I hoped the crazy family would be able to see the fire of the lean-to from the distance as they neared the shelter and such a sight find a second break of energy. The crazy family did not yet return. By 10 p.m., I decided to let the fire down, die down on its own, settle, settled in for sleep, and still the crazy family had not yet returned. I fell asleep wondering what I would have to tell the search and rescue team about the crazy family that I only met briefly. It was not until 11.30 that the crazy family returned. They were all tired, but they were okay. It was at this point that they, in my mind, had earned the moniker, the crazy family. Red and Calm were crazy enough to lead their children on a hike so late in the day, and Happy and Persevere were crazy enough to follow them, and they were all crazy enough to do everything they could to enjoy the hike to its full completion. Three mountains, not just the one, and two of the mountains twice. These are the behaviors of someone who is crazy, and they did it collectively as a family. It was a late night of hiking for all in the family, and they were all excited to return to the lean-to, and only a little disappointed at the lack of a fire. I tried. I really tried. The next morning was lazy, slow, late, and full of enjoyable conversations with Red, Calm, and the children. After such a long and late night, I assumed that they would have a slow start to the morning, and as I just had one mountain to climb that day, I felt like I could follow their lead. By this time in my journey, I was used to waking and rising around 5.30 a.m. and heading out for the day's adventure by 7.30. But this day, I slept until 7.30. But it was the latest I could go before I just had to get up and start the day. It was a cold, rainy, cloudy day, not a promising day of great hiking. 
It was just the right kind of morning to take our time, enjoy a slow, enjoyable breakfast, and ease into the day. The fellowship was wonderful. By about 10 a.m., very late for me, I started on my way to climb Mount Seymour with the assurance that I would most likely see the crazy family on my way back down. Mount Seymour promised um, a much shorter hike than the one before, so there was not an urgency of get, uh, to get going early in the morning. There was no risk of returning at 11.30 p.m. It was supposed to be a shorter, easier day, but because of the weather, this was not a fun hiking day. I would actually describe it as a slightly dangerous hiking day primarily because of the weather. The wind and the rain were cold and bitter and did not stop. For the first time in the summer, when I was at the top of the mountain, I started showing all the textbook signs of hypothermia, shivering uncontrollably, having difficulty getting warm, and making bad decisions. That bad decision started when I decided to climb the mountain. I was aware of enough of myself and the elements to know that I should not stay at the peak long. I said my prayer, ate my lunch, which gave my body nutrients and energy it needed to get warm, and headed back down the mountain to what I hoped would be a dry, comfortable, and inviting bed in a lean-to. In this cold and rainy weather, I assumed that I would be the only person on the mountain that day, and that I would not see anyone on my way down. Surely, the crazy family would not venture up the mountain in this kind of weather. About a third of the way down the mountain, I met the 10-year-old, Happy who was on her way up, almost bouncing up the rocks, waiting for the rest of her family to catch up. Again, just like the day before, she seemed to appear out of nowhere like a forest sprite. The dog, Sasha, was also with her, happy to see me, glad to say hello, and then ran back down the mountain to check on the rest of the group. Persevere, the six-year-old, was having a difficult time in the weather. He was very cold and a little tired, and starting to question not only his life choices, but those of his family. After getting permission from Calm, I offered candy to everyone. I always hike with Reese's Pieces as a treat reward for getting to the top of the mountain. Sometimes the reward of Reese's Pieces is just the right kind of motivation I need to push, I need to push me to get to the top of the mountain. Being raised in a Skinner box has its benefits. After the candy was widely and freely dispersed, I was left wondering what next to do. It was still early in the day. I did not look forward to the prospect of sitting in a lean-to alone for hours before they returned. I did not want to have to attempt to write something in my journal because that had not gone well so far. I bored myself every time I tried to write. Nor did I want to take time to meditate and individual reflection. So I asked if I could hike with them back up the mountain that that I was on my way down. I am a parent and have some sense of what it means to navigate the moods and desires of children and I thought I might be able to help. I was also holding to the hope that maybe the weather would clear up and I would get a good view the second time I climbed up Seymour. The first time, there was no view at all. And I really enjoyed the conversation and the company of the crazy family. And so I joined the crazy family back up the mountain on a day that no one should be hiking at all. It was not an easy hike up due in large part to the wind and the rain, The weather did not get better. We were all cold and shivering, and Red managed to whack his head on a tree branch, causing blood to drip down his face. To his credit, he refused to clean off the blood and hiked the rest of the day with his own badge of courage, or insanity. The views never really did open up. The side of the summit was one of clouds and more clouds. It was not a great day for hiking by any stretch, but it was one of my more enjoyable hikes. Red and I shared a similar sense of humor, one that not many others share, Calm was great for conversation. Happy and Perseverance were a joy to hike with, and despite the weather, it was a very good day. 
We returned to the lean-to at dinner time, enjoyed more conversation, started a fire, burned some clothes that we were trying to dry, and overall had a great time. It is very good. Imagine that you come along to a house and decide to spend the night in that house. It is not your home, but you're going to sleep there anyway. When you go into the home, you meet other people who are already in the house. In the world, your actions would be plenty justification to be shot and arrested, in that order. If you venture onto someone's property, the kind of hospitality that you could expect to receive could very easily be at the barrel of a gun. Say the people in the house were not homeowners, but simply others who happened to get there first. Beyond the ethics of ownership, the ideal of first come, first serve tend to dominate in our culture. In coffee shops, we find a table to sit at and guard that table every way that we can because we were the first ones at the table and now it belongs to us. The idea of having to share a table and having to make space for other people at a table is unheard of. The first to the land, the first to the playground, the first on the bus is the one who gets to choose and own what they claim. The rules of community, the rules for association in our world leave us separated, distant, and guarded. We do not live in a world of sharing and caring, but instead of possession. In the wilderness, this was not the case, especially with lean-tos. We had to make, sh make space. We had to share. And almost no one would have a gun. Guns are just too heavy to carry all the way in the wilderness. The lean-to has an immediate intimacy that is affirming of one's humanity and community. The lean-to calls people to share if they want to or not. People snore and fart, people take up space, wake up early and want to sleep in and make living challenges just like everywhere else. Yet in the wilderness, in the lean-to, it, it is different. We share a living and sleeping space and engage the wilderness together. We have to be nice to each other, to tolerate each other, and be compassionate towards each other. By and large, I found the community created by the rustic Spartan space of the lean-to to be warm, loving, and inviting. Sharing a lean-to offered and helped to create good community and honest relationships. This may be a way of resolving conflicts between people, making the opposing parties spend a couple of nights together in a lean-to. The lean-to is convenient because it is a ready-made shelter. In bad weather, you have more space that will stay dry than you would in a tent. Lean-tos tend to be in beautiful spots and are great for groups. There are many, multiple reasons why I enjoy staying in a lean-to, but overall the greatest are the people I met and the space that I'm blessed to share. Well, there it was. Um, the second part of my my experience with people on the trail or in tents and lean-tos and things of that nature. Um, I'm going to post one more because it really, you know, I know that I know that you're there for me. I know you are, and I appreciate all of you. But I don't want to overtax you. I don't want to make you sit and listen for too long at a time. You have other things to do. I mean, those dishes aren't going to wash themselves, right? So um, this will just we'll, we'll do one more posting. You know, think about community in your life and where you see people and where you encounter them, how they, how you interact with them, those kinds of things. A community is really important. If you want to send a message about this show or any other shows, you can send those to 12enough at gmail.com. 12enough at gmail.com. 12 is written out. Come to the Facebook page where you can 
you know, follow the show or I post things about the show, and that's Facebook slash 12 enough. Again, 12 is written out. And please go to iTunes and rate and like the show. Put a comment on the show. Uh, that really does help. I know Joe Blunt post, uh, posted a comment, and I really appreciate that. It was really, really nice and helps a lot in getting word about the show out to others. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your family members about the show. Make them sit down and listen. Nothing says, please enjoy this, like making someone sit down and listen. And as always, thank you very much for listening. 12 Enough is a podcast about Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your host is Jonathan Malone, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of East Greenwich, Rhode Island. Your guest host were all those lovely people who come from everywhere and nowhere. I don't know where they come from. The thoughts, ideas, opinions, ruminations, moments of thinking out loud and talking about other people or anything else of that nature do not reflect the churches, denominations, places where they lived, various lean-tos and other various trail names given or anything else of that nature. These are their own ideas. This is their podcast. And isn't it interesting that I just referred to myself in the plural? Am I getting to that place already?